This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org. Welcome to the JMR podcast. I'm David Johnson, your host for today's podcast. We are recording on April 15th, 2022. And my guest today is Dr. Andrea Anderson, who has worn many hats in recent years. She is the Associate Chief of the Division of Family Medicine at George Washington University in the District of Columbia. She is the Chair of the District of Columbia's Board of Medicine. She also serves as a member of the USMLE Management Committee, and in 2021, she was elected to the Board of Directors for the Federation of State Medical Boards. Andrea, you indeed are wearing many hats. Uh, Dr. Anderson and I co-authored a commentary titled, How Diverse Are State Medical Boards? That appears in the current issue of the Journal of Medical Regulation. Dr. Anderson, welcome to the JMR podcast. Thank you so much, David. It's great to be here. Well, Andrea, let me start first with a fairly broad question, which is, why is it important that there is diversity on state medical boards? This is a great question. And first, I really want to highlight and congratulate all the members of the public and uh, medical members that are serving on state medical boards throughout the country. It's really uh, a service that we appreciate and value. But at the same time, we do want to look at why diversity is important on state medical boards. And as you and I sum summarized in our commentary, by expanding the diversity of experience, perspective, culture of those in such a critical role-making decision and policy-making decision, as are those on state medical boards, we really stand to strengthen the depth of our understanding and uh, effectiveness for those medical boards. And I think ultimately as a regulatory community, we all stand to benefit from these efforts. Uh, we're able to allow uh, more robust decisions, more robust deliberation, and really advance what our state medical boards are doing if we allow for more voices to have a seat at the table. Absolutely. Well, Andrea, uh, in terms of our commentary, would you like to walk our listeners through what some of the main findings of our research were when we looked at the composition of the Federation's Board of Directors, which you joined a little over a year ago? Yes. And I was so uh, honored to participate in this work with you, David, and to have the opportunity to write this commentary. So just to summarize for the listeners, we looked at the uh, mainly race and gender composition of the Federation of State Medical Board Board of Directors from the period of 1980 to 2000. The reason we did not look earlier than 1980 was because Essentially, there was not any diversity before 1980. <laughs> we were not able to uh, identify, to our knowledge, uh, anyone that identified other than white or male who served on the National uh, Board of Directors before 1980. 
So we really concentrated our work on the period of time after 1980, specifically um, 1980 to 2000. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, we were also able to look at 2000 to 2020. What we found was during the period from a gender perspective, during the period of 1980 to 2000, approximately 56 people served on the board of directors. 50 of them were men and six were women. So about 89% male from a gender perspective, um, self-identified perspective. Um, but we did see some improvement after 1980, that period of 1980 to 2000, because when you look at the 20 years subsequent from 2000 to 2020, we saw the amount of women participating on the board of directors grew to about 31%. So we did see a, a growth there uh, and we were very encouraged to see that. When you look from a race and uh, ethnicity perspective, we didn't see as much diversity uh, from our findings. Uh, during that 1980 to 2000 period, only about six members identified as non-white Hispanic, as white non-Hispanic, excuse me. And uh, so a, a smaller, much smaller percentage from a racial diversity perspective. We have seen some growth since then, in the years since then, approximately 17 between 2000 and 2020, identified as uh, US uh, racial and ethnic minorities, uh, mainly uh, African-American and Asian, predominantly South Asian uh, members of the board of directors. So some progress from a racial perspective as well, although not as much as we have seen from a gender perspective. Thanks, Andrea. You, know, you make a, a good point that uh, certainly we've made, I think, some appropriate progress in terms of gender. As, as you were sharing those numbers, I was, I was thinking about uh, the Federation's biennial census of licensed physicians and that, that 31% of women serving on the Federation's governance uh, mirrors pretty closely, that I believe it's 35 or 36% the licensed physicians in this country be, uh, being women. So certainly that figure begins to align pretty well. Yes, uh, that was encouraging to see. Yeah. Andrea, you know, we acknowledged in that commentary that there are structural limitations, though, that, that impact membership on the Federation's board of directors. And I'm thinking specifically that uh, the pool of prospective candidates for FSMB governance is actually derived from our state medical board membership. And, you know, there may be some listeners who are not familiar with the general process by which uh, people often make their way onto a medical board. Uh, you mentioned, you know, public members serving on medical boards, physician members earlier. Could you just say a little bit about, in general, how people make their way onto a state medical board? And, and perhaps you could even, you know, maybe even wish to start with how you came to be appointed to the District of Columbia's board of medical board. Definitely. Uh, I would be happy to outline that process. And I agree. I think for most physicians or, or definitely for members of the public, it's probably a mystery how people come to serve <laughs> on their state medical board. I know even for me as a licensed physician, I didn't, I don't think I really ever thought about how people got onto their state medical board. Uh, for me, my service began in uh, 2012. 
I uh, was uh, approached by my chief medical officer. I worked for a large uh, federally qualified health center here in the District of Columbia. And uh, um, she had she knew that there were openings on the Board of Medicine and thought that I would be a good candidate to serve on the Board of Medicine. The call had gone out for nominations and there was an emphasis at that time on practice diversity. So uh, practice and both practice and specialty diversity. So as a family physician working in a federally qualified health center, I brought a unique perspective that I could uh, add to the board, or at least that my chief medical officer felt that I could add to the board. Uh, the previous um, FQHC representative was moving out of the district, uh, thus leaving an opening that needed to be filled. Uh, I accepted the appointment and I was um, approved by the city council and subsequently appointed by the mayor's office of talents and appointments here in the District of Columbia. And that brings us to one of the structural limitations that we mentioned in our commentary. Most service on state medical boards is appointative, right? So right. Uh, members have to be appointed by their governor if they're in a state that has a governor or if they're in a territory or other type of municipality, such as the District of Columbia, they are appointed by the analogous leading official, in my case, the mayor. Uh, so this is probably the first kind of decision point or point where uh, it's my, it might limit the, the pool that would subsequently be uh, eligible for service uh, to the Federation of State Medical Board Board of Directors. After yeah. that... Oops. No, I'm sorry, you go ahead, Andrea. No, I was going to say that, so that's the first pool that's going to be eligible to run for office for the board of directors. After that, uh, we know, and I'm sure you know, David, and I know definitely as well, serving on a state medical board, although it's very rewarding, and um, I think a wonderful way to serve your, your municipality uh, or your jurisdiction, takes a lot of time, a lot right. of time, a lot of effort, and is a volunteer service. So, you know, that might also um, exclude from members who might not have the time to serve, or, you know, maybe they have a young family, or they are have a, you know, very uh, active career, or, you know, there's so many different things can factor into a person's ability to serve. Uh, and then when you put in the idea of running for office for a national position to the National Board of Directors, you know, these considerations might come into effect as well. So, again, this is going to further limit the pool to be selected from from the uh, to be on the Board of Directors, the National Board of Directors. So I think that that would be another structural limitation. Uh, and then the final thing is that the board of directors then has to be elected by <laughs> the membership of uh, at the annual meeting about uh, from each of the delegates from the state medical boards. So let's say you do get on your state medical board, you love it so much that you decide to run for national office, then you put your name in to run for national office, you're selected by the nominated committee to be on the slate of candidates, 
then you then have to be elected. So we see how, you know, the the candidates in the pool can get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then it's just a matter of who has the most votes in the end to be elected to the to the board of directors. Uh, oh, thank you for kind of walking us through that, Andrea. I know you and I have talked about this, but, you know, just hearing you describe those multiple sort of factors or layers that are at work, I think drives home that uh, e even in when there's a commitment to diversity, in, uh, in particular in this instance, you know, there's a lot that influences ultimately that pool of candidates and that, uh, you know, decides ultimately who's going to make their way onto a governing board, in this case at the Federation. Right. So Andrea, our, our commentary culminated with two very specific recommendations. And in, in fact, we, we described them as a call to action. So I was hoping you might talk about those. Right, and, and you know, this work, you know, again, I wanna say that we're committed to improving the way that we practice medical regulation in the United States. And looking at this work, you know, we don't at all want to any in any way diminish the work of state medical boards and all the many challenges they're dealing with, all the many ways in which they are fulfilling their mission to protect the public. And we're so grateful and thankful for all the work that goes into uh, what we do every day. However, we're looking for ways that we can improve, ways that we can do a better job and better represent uh, the the population of physicians and public and the public in the jurisdictions and thus do a better job in protecting the public uh, in our work as state medical board members. So the first uh, part of the call to action that we came up with is that members of state uh, medical boards and also staff of state medical boards um, should be committed to justice and equality, diversity and inclusion for the composition of their boards. And we have a responsibility to undertake a similar look at our board composition. Who is sitting at the table? Uh, how are those members chosen? Uh, how are they recruited to serve on the state medical board? Um, I think even, even, even if it's just from a, a review perspective, even just to get a count, you know, how many numbers right. do we have? You know, who, how many women do we have? How many uh, racial and ethnic minorities do we have? And, and Dave, you, as you know, diversity is not just limited to race and ethnicity and gender, right? right? Like, are they representing private practices? Are they representing, you know, federally qualified health centers? Are they, you know, research positions? I mean, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever is the, the range of practice experiences, specialty experiences, early career, mid-career, late career physicians, you know, all of these, all of this type of diversity can add to the robust uh, nature and effectiveness of the decision, uh, the decisions that state medical boards are making. So that would be the first thing, right? Just take a look at, at who's around you, what's been in the past, right. uh, and, and what is your commitment for the future? Uh, the second piece of our call to action is that the FSMB should consider undertaking a collaborative research effort with state medical boards to capture, document, and publish a national portrait of state medical board membership. 
who who does serve on our on our state medical boards, you know, approximately 800 individuals are serving on state medical boards throughout uh, the U.S. and its territories today. And again, we're so grateful for all their service. It would help us to get a better picture of the state of diversity among our state medical boards and would help to inform our work of how we can work towards having a more diverse state medical board populace. You know, that, that brings us to that inclusion part. I always remind people inclusion is active, right? We, uh, we, we need to start with the numbers first. We need to know who is there, but then we move towards what is our action plan? How do we increase? How do we include members? How do we allow others to participate and to use their voices in the service of state medical boards? And really, I hope that that is the impact of our commentary to just raise the awareness and to inspire state medical boards uh, on a granular level and also the Federation on a national level to continue this work towards uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion among state medical boards. I think such a project, or we thought such a project, would provide an important benchmark to evaluate the diversity uh, today in relationship to the U.S. physician workforce and the patient population that we aim to serve. Well, and Andrea, I, I think, you know, just to kind of build on what you said, that there's actually a, a, probably a very powerful, positive story that many of the state medical boards can share if, if they're taking a look at, you know, their their work and progress towards diversity on their medical board. I, in fact, I know that there were, when our article appeared in the recent JMR issue, I was contacted by two different executive directors who shared a little of their story and efforts that they were making, and they were rightfully proud of some of the processes they put in place and the diversity they've achieved. So I I suspect those are not outliers, that there's probably a fairly compelling, very positive story that our medical board community can can share if, if they're willing to help with establishing that baseline and, and simply sharing some of what they've been doing already. I can't agree enough. Uh, that we just need to share our stories, share best practices. I know at our upcoming annual meeting, we have uh, several sessions about this, about diversity, equity, inclusion. How can we learn from our member boards and see what are are the best ways that we can um, advance in this area? And and we haven't mentioned that, uh, I know we stopped our research at 2020, but in mm-hmm. 2021, I mean, I can definitely say that I'm very proud to serve on what has been said to be the most diverse board of directors in history, right? We have 53% of our current membership are women and um, about 40% of the current membership of the National Board of Directors identifies as an underrepresented minority. So definitely we're making a lot of progress and I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of both my state medical board and the National Board of Directors of the Federation of State Medical Boards and to be part of a, an organization so committed to continual improvement in this and so many other areas. Well, Andrea, I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, the our article, as you know, has uh, an accompanying photograph that I think really demonstrates how far the federations come. We showed a picture of the federation's executive board in, I believe, 1960 or 61, which was predictably reflective of power structures in those days, you know, all male, all white. 
And, and you are absolutely correct. When we look at the composition of the board of directors for FSMB today, it is easily the most diverse in the organization's history. So you know, it's a wonderful to see the progress we've made there. Uh, one last question for you, Andrea. What would you like for a staff member or a board member at one of our state medical boards to take away from our conversation today or from our commentary itself? Yes, I mean, first, definitely thank you for listening and thank you for considering these issues and topics in your own state medical board. I want you to realize that there's a lot of great work that I'm sure you're already doing. Um, but this is an opportunity to do uh, even more great work to protect the residents of your jurisdiction. I think it's, um, it's easy for us to think that we already have all the bases covered. Maybe, uh, you know, the members of state medical boards are such uh, committed individuals that maybe this is not so much of an issue. Um, but once we actually start asking the questions and actually start looking at the data, we may realize that we do have some work that we can do and that it only stands to improve the outcome of the decisions and the, um, the impact that we can have on the community as state medical board members. So I want to I thank you for the current work that you're doing, and I want to hope, I want to state that I hope that you can continue to keep the door open, keep the conversation going, and see are there ways that you can improve as a state medical board staff member or a state medical board uh, member to continue to uh, advance this conversation in diversity, equity, inclusion. And I always say, you know, there's so many people out there like myself that had never even thought about state, more state medical board membership. And, uh, you know, actually seeing who was on the medical board actually allowed me to think, oh, I can do that. I can be on a state medical board. And then even when the decision came to run for office uh, in the national office, right. I also thought, oh, look at who's, you know, the chair of the of the Federation of State Medical Board at the time was a African-American woman. I really felt like, oh, that's something that I can aspire to as well. You know, that's why representation matters. You know, if you can't see it, it's hard to conceive that you can also be it. But when you see people who are like yourself, uh, for example, like myself, I'm a, uh, I, have a, I have a young family, young children, I'm a mother, I work in a federally qualified health center, or I, I, I did for many years, uh, primary care physician, you know, realizing that I have a voice to add, I have a perspective that can help was very helpful for me. And um, I'm so happy that I was able to accept that call to be appointed to my state medical board. And I would say that it's allowed me to continue in ways that I could not even imagined um, in national service, both uh, on the federation level and also with the USMLE program that the federation co-owns. So I would just say that this can only be additive to your board. This can only help taking a look at these numbers and taking a look at how your own board is doing um, can really add rewards uh, to the effectiveness in the future. So keep the conversation going. Great. Thank you, Andrea. Well said. 
Well, Andrew, I'd like to thank you for, for joining us today. Uh, and to our listeners, our commentary piece, How Diverse Are State Medical Boards, can be found in the current issue of JMR at jmronline.org. I would like to thank all of you who listened today, and I hope you will join us for our next JMR podcast. Have a great day. This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org.